Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. That was good stuff. You know, our worship team is awesome. And they, yeah. And can I go ahead and tell you, they're all that personally in their walk with Christ as well. They're just not performers. Uh, they, they're people that are really good at what they do, and they love the Lord. And what really impressed me was Nathan's air. Did you guys see him? He got worship air going on right here. I can't be on this worship team. I can't jump that high. Okay. So we're in a, a, a sermon series that's unshakable, thriving through the test of life. And we need to realize that in life, we're all going to go through hard stuff, right? Every one of us, we're going to go through hard stuff. But what if going through a trial has to do with your faith? What happens if, if, if the, the issue that you're dealing with, the struggle that's coming into your life has to do with just because of your faith in Christ? How do we thrive in that? So I want to tell a story about our trip to uh, Russia. We went in uh, February 2018, and a lot of people ask, well, you know, why Russia in the winter? Well, everybody wants to experience minus 20, don't you, <laughs> with outdoor plumbing. Uh, really, that's whenever you beat the, uh, you don't have to worry about the tourists when you go that time of the year, like they have tourists, right? All right, here we go. So why did we go? We went to help a church reach some Tartar people, which is on the backside of the world, basically. Uh, phenomenal experience, phenomenal trip, uh, as, as most global engagements are. But I want to tell you a story. As we were coming out, uh, if you look on your smartphones or whatever, you've got your tablet, whatever, look for the city of Omsk, Russia. That kind of gives you a framework of where we were. And as we were there, we went to this church. It's called Central Baptist Church. And Central Baptist Church is a large church. It's an old church. It was founded in the 1800s. It's a very large church. And so when we were there, we, uh, we actually saw these uh, large posters that they put on the side walls of their auditorium, the sanctuary. And what we learned is that when communism came, uh, the communists took this building from the church. And they had the police station and the KGB met in there. That's where they moved. But the church still went on. Now, that's an important lesson for us because the church doesn't need a building. The church is the church. So they went on, uh, but then after communism fell, uh, they, they regained the property, and then they decided well, they were just going to put these posters up as a reminder of their experiences, a reminder them of the history of their church. And so we were walking around, and there were two of these posters that really caught my attention. One, because it just made me laugh, and the other is because it inspired me. So I want to take you to the one that made me laugh first, all right? So this is the one that I want you to look at. This is called Polar Baptism. Now, I want you to look at the image on the top right. Do you see that? This is 1907. Um, they cut a big hole in the river and through the ice so that these guys could be baptized. You guys see that? I saw that. I saw now, that's just painful. It just about make you go Presbyterian and go to sprinkling, all right? <laughs> and so I looked at this, and then what really caught my attention was that the folks around there, they are posing. Now, we know how hard it is in today's world to get the right picture. This is 1907. How long 
were those two guys in the water. I can just imagine. Vladimir, buddy, you had your eyes closed. We got to do it again. Pastor, you just stay. We're saying. Now, some of you, you complain about how we go about baptism here at Dogwood. And if you have a problem with it, you can go with us next February and we'll do it right. But I'm not getting in the water with you. Just understand that. So I found a little humor in that. But then this is the next one. The next image has, uh, you can see Lennon, top left, and we think he's actually speaking at Central Church. This is right after, this is 1921. But then you'll notice that as we blow up the image, there's a painting. And this painting, it depicts when three Christians were martyred. Do you see the Bolsheviks behind them? And what we learned is that in this church, uh, or in this area, they first went after the pastors in the 20s. In the 30s, they went after the Christians. There's a plaque at Central Church that commemorates, that has the names of 500 Christians who gave their life for their faith. Hmm. You know, as I looked at that image, I, you know, obviously it made an impact because I actually called, emailed that church says, I, I want to see this. They sent me it. And, uh, you know, as I still look at it, those images, there's a couple of verses that came to mind. One is out of Hebrews eleven thirty seven, where the writer of Hebrews was talking about the, the, the early Christians who were stoned, they were sawn in two, they died by the sword, and they wandered about in sheepskins. But then he concluded it by saying the world was not worthy of them. I thought about those Christians. I think about the Christians today who are suffering. The world's not worthy of them. And then in Philippians 1, where Peter, I mean, Paul actually said, For you have not only been given the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And that's something that's not in our American vocabulary. But then the third verse that came to my mind came out of Matthew 16, where Jesus said, Peter, now you are Peter, which means the rock, and upon the rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. The communists came in, and they said, we're going to stop the church. We're going to persecute the church, and the gates of hell did not overpower it. They didn't stop the church. The church grew. The church came vibrant. In fact, let me tell you something really interesting. We actually stayed in the building in Omsk, a three-story building that they call the Discipleship Center. They send Christians from around that region to this building for nine months to learn how to live out their faith. That building in the 20s, 30s, and 40s was where they held court for the Christians and they persecuted the Christians. And now the church owns it. The gates of hell will not overpower the church. The only danger we have is apathy and indifference brought about because of we're affluent. So I looked at this and I thought, there's some troubling questions that came to mind and some big questions that came to my mind. And, and I, I, I asked the big question is, okay, Jay, if that's you, are you going to be strong enough? Would you make the decision? That's a big question, isn't it? But then the reality that in our country, there's been a pretty dramatic shift in the last 20 years, and particularly is intensifying the last, I think, about the last 10 years regarding faith, regarding Christianity. Uh, in many cases, 
We're not favored. In fact, some of you have talked to me and shared with me the increased pressure that you're feeling in the workplace simply because of your faith in Christ. So I ask the question, how does, it, how does one live in a culture that is decidedly anti-God? How does one live in a culture that calls something that's right wrong and something that's wrong right? How do you live in that culture? How do you live in a culture that we were going to realize more and more what uh, Paul wrote in Philippians 2, that we have the privilege to suffer for his sake? How do we live in that culture? Well, Daniel 3 gives us a good example. And so what we're going to do is look at Daniel 3 and, and, and draw some principles uh, that we can live on. Now, notice that in your, if you do a sermon note that you're going to have to turn the page. I've got a lot of notes for you today, uh, mainly because last time I preached, someone said my sermon was pointless, so I'm going to get you back. That's a joke. Okay. Now, let me give you a key point that's not in your notes. I want you to write this down. And this is a point that, this is a principle that resonates all the way through the book of Daniel. And it's this, that before a blessing comes a testing. Before a blessing comes a testing. Because God wants to test us with stress before he trusts us with success. God wants to make sure that we have the character and the maturity and the integrity to handle all the things that God wants to bless us with. And so to do that, he sends us through test. So the question is, is that our, is our lives, are we, are, are we blessable in our lives? So now the setting is this. We're in, in, in Daniel 3. The setting is it's 15 years past Daniel 2. So these young men are probably in their mid-30s. And they have been given significant positions of responsibility. Now, they're not preachers and they're not priests. They're just like most of you, common people, right? And so they have these responsibilities. Nebuchadnezzar is still the king. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful ruler in the day, leading the most powerful kingdom in the day. But he's got a problem, and it's his ego. He's a narcissistic kind of person. And ultimately, that narcissism, his ego, will be his ultimate downfall. Just like us, by the way. So now, when we look in, in chapter 3, verse 1, we kind of get the story. Nebuchadnezzar got this, this, this tall, tall statue, about, statue about 90 feet tall. And what we think, what scholars think, is that they actually built a pedestal about 45 feet, and the rest of it uh, was, was the, uh, the statue. And then in verse 2, he sent out the message, and he brought in the high officers, the officials, the governors, and advisors. In other words, he brought them in by pecking order, and, and that's how they probably lined up. He put the, the officials here, uh, the, the high officers, then the officials, then the governors. And so he had them lined up. Now, how many? We don't know. There was probably quite a few. And, and, and so he had the most powerful people there. And then in, in verses 4 through 7, if you look at verse 4, he said, the instruction was people of all races, nations, and language, listen to the king's command. So this is the command. And so in verse 7, we see it. 
that whenever the band starts up, everybody, all the race, nations, and language, they are to bow before the statue. And so you think about it, it's not enough for this Nebuchadnezzar to be king. He wants to be God, which was really a common practice because that's how they could consolidate power. We saw it not only in Babylon, we saw it in the Syrians, we saw it eventually in the Roman Empire. We, we see how that consolidates power. But the stick is this in verse 6. If you don't, we're going to burn you up. Now, this takes place about 2,500 years ago. What amazes me is how relevant this experience is into our culture. Let me show you some similarities between uh, Daniel 3 and our culture. And the first one is this. The world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. The world creates larger-than-life images for me to worship. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 4, uh, the, uh, what they did is they set out the, the, uh, the requirements for people to come to Babylon. And basically they said, we only want the smart, we only want the good-looking, we only want the, uh, the, the really sharp ones. Not a lot has changed in our culture. Look at what's happening in Hollywood. Hollywood sets up people on a pedestal, and they say, look at that person. you you, you got to worship them, and whatever they say is worth listening to. Probably not. Look at sports. What we're doing with sports, it's not that we can just cheer for our team, but if anybody is plays for or cheers for another team, what do we do? We've lost our minds, folks. Literally. I didn't think I'd get an applause for that part. (laughs) I thought maybe a stick or something. But you know what? You know the city of Atlanta has put $2.4 billion into our shrines. Just saying. Got a lot of hungry people around too. And so here's what happens in our culture. We, we worship physical beauty. And if you don't measure up to the physical beauty of the, this world, our culture says you don't matter. We worship sex. We worship wealth. We worship success. We worship pleasure. We worship fame. We worship power. We, we worship influence. We worship popularity. Those are the things that our culture, those are the images that our culture says that we have to worship. But now, it brings us to another point. I am tempted to create false images of myself to impress others. I am tempted to create false images to impress others. And here's what I'm seeing happening is that we build these images of what you want everybody to think about you. Now, there's a guy by the name of Paul Tillich. He was a scholar. He was a theologian. He said this about Uh, our false gods. He said, a person's God is a thing or person that one is most concerned about, thinks about most about, or affects one's life the most. Now, this this, we're going to keep that up here because I think you ought to write that down, but I want you to think about this. How do we do that in this world? Well, for some of us, it's about having the perfect family, that I have to have the perfect family. And, we, and what I'm seeing is that parents are putting all this stress on their children, whether academically, whether they're in the sports or whatever, that they just can't let their kids be kids. 
It's like they're living through their children and their success, their children's success, whether academically, sports, whatever, gives them meaning. Guys, stop doing that to your kids. They might not graduate the top of the class. You want them to work hard, but that's okay. Or we want to put it in terms of where we live. If I live in the right zip code, if I live in the right area, if we live in all these other places and I drive the right kind of car, everybody's going to think I am somebody. And you're in debt to your eyeballs. We create these false images. And something that we have to be careful about. Look, look what you got, what folks do on Facebook. Anybody see a Facebook post that shows what people really look like in the morning? (laughs) Just saying. And I'm the one to speak about it. I used to have 10 friends on Facebook. (laughs) Then I killed it. (laughs) Number three, if I reject the world's images and idols, people are going to try to burn me. Now, that's not, they're not going to physically try to burn you, but they're going to burn you in other ways. Because if, if we reject what the, our culture, our world says is, is right, or what we put up as our images, if, or we should worship this, or everybody's doing it because, uh, and, and you should too. If we say, well, you know what, I just don't think that's such a good idea. They're going to try to burn you. When everybody else was falling flat in Babylon, these three guys stood strong. Now, I want you to notice something that's very interesting. Look at verse 8. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Now, it probably was the astrologers were one step down from the governors. Now, you get what's happening here, right? I want that job. And these guys are in my way. I'm going to burn them. And notice verse 12. And this is where they're telling on, on the Jews. They said, And there are some Jews, Sadrach, Meshach, and Mingo, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. But how, that's for loyalty. You know, in today's world, these, these will be the people that we go to Starbucks with. We go out to eat. These are the people that we rub shoulders with every day. And they're trying to burn these three guys. Now, why did they? We, we had to speculate. It could be because uh, they, they're from a different ethnic background. It, you know, they were in Babylon. And, the, and they weren't Babylonians. And they didn't like that. They had a different skin color. And you know, uh, unfortunately in this room, there are some of you, because of your skin color, or maybe where you were born, there were people who didn't want you to be their leader or they didn't want to work with you or they didn't want to live next door to you or be your friend. And that person might have looked a lot like me. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. And let me tell you that the racial bigotry that we're seeing has got to stop. And uh, let me tell you where it's going to stop. It's going to stop in God's church. Right? It's going to stop in God's church. 
But we also know that racial bigotry is not just a problem that we see in our culture. It's a universal problem. As our pastor John Warnock showed us last week, the the issue in Rwanda, it was just an ethnic cleansing. Millions of people died in in Rwanda. It's It's a universal problem because it's a universal sin problem. That breaks my heart, guys. Um, it could have been another reason is because of re- re- religious intolerance. Uh, and, and basically is that they, they looked at the Jews and said, you, you know, they, they're just a different faith. Now, now understand this. It's going to get harder from this point on. It's going to get harder for us to live our faith in the corporate world. You just got to know that. It's going to get harder. Or it could be that they, they just wanted their jobs. Who knows? But now here's what you need to understand. When you go to work tomorrow, there are going to be people there at your workplace that are going to burn you because they might not agree with the integrity and the faith that you demonstrate. Don't let that surprise you and have a good day at work tomorrow. But it's going to happen, isn't it? Some of you have had that happen to them. Number four, doing the right thing always makes some people angry. Now, some of us come in the room and think, you know, if I do the right thing, if I do the honest thing, if I live with integrity, if I live with Christ-like uh, a lifestyle, uh, everybody's going to like me. No. Think about Jesus Christ, the only person that was perfect. They crucified him. And so understand that when you stand for Christ or you stand for integrity at your workplace, it's going to make some people mad. You just got to get over it. Don't worry about it. But the question that comes to mind is, what kind of person are you in the workplace? What kind of person are you when you go to work? What kind of person are you when you're at school? Now, when we stand for integrity, you might want to write this down. You ready? When you stand for integrity, you're going to do it humbly. You don't have to... You know, bash everybody. Do it humbly. Be polite. Be gracious. You don't have to brag about it. In other words, you don't have to put it on social media. You don't want to be a victim, but you stand for integrity. You stand for what is right. When everybody else was kneeling, these guys stood. Now, you say, well, why did they do that? And this is real important. We stand when it's about a biblical principle, not necessarily a personal preference. All right? So, why do these guys stand? Well, in Exodus 20, it says, you must make, you must not, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind of, or an image of anything in the heavens or in the earth or in the sea. That's the first of the commandments. And then he, uh, the Lord said, and you must not bow down to them or worship him for the, I, the, the Lord your God am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. So the reason that they stood is based on biblical principle. So it brings us to the second idea. What should I do when I'm in the heat when the heat is on and I'm at a point of decision. Well, these guys did a couple of things. One, 
Don't worry about defending yourself. In Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. In other words, it really doesn't do a whole lot of good just to try to defend yourself. The second thing they did is remember that God has a power to save you, and you have to believe that he will save you. Again, in verse uh, 317, it says, if we're throwing the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Now, understand this. Whatever it is that you're in today, some of you guys are in some pretty hard things. You have to approach and say, God, you are able to save me, and you will rescue me. But number three, and this is important, is that we're in the heat of that moment. I announce my loyalty to God no matter what. Verse 18, and even if he doesn't, we want you to know, Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods. They took that stand, didn't they? And that was the stand that our brothers and sisters took in Russia. So what happens when I trust God in the furnace? What what are some of the things that are going to happen? Well, when you're in the furnace, here's some things that are going to happen. When you're in the problem, sometimes God saves us from the crisis. Sometimes God saves us from the crisis. We don't know how many times God in his sovereignty has kept us out of crisis. We don't really know that. Sometimes God saves us through the crisis. In other words, you're going to go through the crisis, but because of, the, of his grace and his sufficiency, you're going to get to go through it. And sometimes God takes you into a crisis because you have the strength of will and the faith to, to deal with the issues at hand. So sometimes God saves us through the crisis. Sometimes God saves us by the crisis. Now, when I say by the crisis, there's, sometimes, you know, some of us have been in the doctor and say, man, you know, I, got, I got this pain somewhere. And they look at it a little bit more and say, you think the pain is the problem, but the doctor says, no, you got something else going on. And so what happens is that in that moment of crisis is the time that we really start looking internally what's going on in our lives. And we begin to realize some things that have got to change. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, I want to particularly focus on verse 7. Peter said this, These trials will show that your faith is genuine, and it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. Now, what is he saying? He said, your faith is the most precious thing in your life. It is the most important thing in your life, and it is going to be tested. So why does God take this through moments of pain? Well, when he does, we need to realize that he's more interested in our character than he is our comfort. And God is more interested in shaping us to be Christ-like than he is our security. And so what he does is he uses these moments to shape us to be the people he's called us to be. And some of you know this. You've been through that hard moment in life. You've been through a divorce. You've been to the door of bankruptcy. You've been here, and you realize that you are actually walking away from God, and God used that moment to bring you back, and you're not the same. In fact, you would say, is it worth it? And you would say, absolutely. 
Now, I find humor in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar, he's mad. He's furious. The man's got an anger problem, doesn't he? So he says, we're going to dial it up. You know, dial setting number one is good enough to kill him. We're going to get it up to number seven. I mean, dead, dead, dead times seven, right? Have you ever uh, noticed that some people react like that? You know, when you're at work and, and somebody obviously overreacts to your faith. Now, we're not talking about when you're weird. Some of you are weird. That's the reason that people act the way they act. All right? You're not looking for a battle. You, it just happens. You need to realize that the more extreme the attacker, the more insecure they are. Uh, you see, the, the, the more insecure a person is, the, the more of the top they become. A, a secure person, if they're secure, it doesn't matter what you believe. They're not insecure about that. Or it could very well be that what is, what's at issue is that their internal doubts are they're fight, fighting their own guilt. So whenever somebody goes over the top, just remember, it's not about you. It's about what God is doing in their lives. So what am I going to do when I go through the fire? Here's some things I want to do. By the way, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you guys are going through stuff right now? You say yes. Okay. Some of you say yeah. Here's some things. And by the way, if you're not, you get ready for it. You ready? So number one, God will walk through the fire with me. God is going to walk through the fire with me. In verse 24, you know, he's looking, and Nebuchadnezzar hops up. Because what they think is that this big furnace, what they, they think that they had a top, kind of cliff, and they threw him from the top. But then in the bottom, they kind of had an opening where they could look in. And uh, what happened was that Nebuchadnezzar was looking in and going, did I get my uh, numbers right? I, I, I thought we had three. What's the story? Who's that fourth guy? Oh, by the way. That fourth guy doesn't look like any of us. He looks like a guy. You went to who that was? It was Jesus Christ pre-incarnate who entered that fire with them. And we get to understand when we're at that moment of difficulty in life, the Bible teaches that he'll never leave us or forsake us. The Bible says in Romans 8, 35, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then he goes on in verse 30, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Look down at verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for the day, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Now, that's a good place to park it, isn't it? Look at Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, that's good advice. But then he goes on. I will never leave you or forsake you. So I can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I want to pause for a second. You guys ready to pray? We got some other principles we're going to do. How many of you are in the, you're feeling the heat right now? A lot of you. We're going to pray about this one. So, Father, there's a lot of folks in this room that are feeling the heat. 
And they need to be reminded that you will never leave them or forsake them. Plant that in our hearts. Amen. Now, here's the second thing God's going to do. He's going to burn off everything tying me down. I love this. You know, these guys came out. They went in uh, with the ropes, and they came out. They were free. Didn't even smell. And here's the thing that, that trials do for us is it gets rid of all the stuff that really doesn't matter. You know, you think all this stuff is important until you go through something. Then you realize this is not that important. You see, pain never leaves you where you are. It will pick you up and take you to a different place. It will take you from immaturity to maturity in your faith. It will take you where you're not trusting Christ to where you trust in Christ. Pain never leaves you where you are. And it will show you what really matters. And here's the third thing. It will give you new freedom. And I want you to write on the side of this. Free of criticism and driven by the opinion of others. Now, what what do I mean by this? God wants to liberate us from all the things in our lives that are holding us back. The fear of people and other people's opinion, I've learned, is one of the things that we do it. I was in uh, Russia in 2016 when the parliament in Russia passed a law pushing heavy restrictions on Christians. And I looked at this guy, this leader, and I said, man, what are you guys going to do? He goes, been there before. Wow, they have been. Now, when you come through testing, you learn not to be afraid of people's opinions and disapproval. Some of us in the room, if somebody looks at you sideways, you welt. Right? I mean, you, you sit there, you want everybody's approval, you've got to have this, and you do it at the detriment of your faith. Now, those of us who are a little older and a little crusty, you know, there's a lot of us in the room, we, we've learned. Uh, people, you know, we've been through enough stuff in life where people's opinions aren't as important. Now, there is feedback that people give us. I'm just talking about criticism. And just know that in life, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be criticize you. Don't let it bother you. Get over it. Now, here's the fourth one. It will bring unbelievers to God. It will bring unbelievers to God. And what we find in verse 28, I'm not going to read it again. You guys can look at it. But you notice what happened is, is that... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How about that? Now, he still shows up with some anger issues because in verse 29, he says, if anybody says anything bad about their God, we're going to throw them in the fire. Still got some anger issues we're working with, right? But think about this. It is when we go through the fires that our testimony is the greatest. When someone sees you in the fire, whether it be an illness, whether it be, but you stand by principle, they respect that. And they want to know more about that. It might cost you, but they respect it. And people come to faith because of you. So now, I'm going to give you the fifth one. And here's what's going to happen. The worship team is going to come on the stage. Don't let them distract you. But I want to give you the fifth one. You ready? Here's number five. 
that you will be rewarded in heaven. Your faith will be rewarded in heaven. If this life is all there is, you bend the knee. But if we believe that there is a heaven, if we believe that there is an eternity, if we believe that is true, we know that God will reward us. I need you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you're going to read it when you get home. But, but Paul is talking about that final testing. But in verse 12, he says, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. All the things that truly matter will be rewarded. So we know that we will be rewarded in heaven. Now, something else I need you to do. How many of you guys, are, we've already talked about, a lot of you guys are going through some stuff, right? I need you tomorrow, or you can do it this afternoon. I want you to go to our website. I want you to go to our website. And uh, I want you to, there's going to be a link to a video by Peter McWilliams. Peter's in my small group. And last December, Peter's a reserve guy, but last December in our small group, he opened up in a way, I, it just took my breath away. He said, Jay, he told her, he said, look, um, I lost my health as a policeman. Somebody wrecked into me. He had a couple strokes. His uh, daughter committed suicide. Wife had stage four cancer. You guys need to hear this man's story. We try to get it for today. We couldn't get it below 17 minutes. You guys need to go online tomorrow and hear his story and then get in touch with me. A remarkable man and how God used his issues in life to shape him. But now we're going to pray. Let's pray together. So, Father, you know the problems that I have. Lord, some of us need to be reminded that you will never leave us or forsake us. And Father, we pray that today we will, we will plant our flags firmly in security with integrity. May we be an example to others. May others come to faith in, in you because of our example with you. And Lord, when we, when we feel alone, remind us of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.